Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. It's one thing for us to hear and even begin to understand what God's law is and what it means, but to truly live our lives in faithfulness to that law requires a conviction of the heart. That's the subject of today's message, which is based on Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 27 through 34, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. And this is a message that starts with some thoughts on inner-directed people versus outer-directed people. Well, here's a question on which to ponder this morning. Why is it that there always seems to be those people in our lives who, despite whatever the situation happens to be, and however the rest of us are dealing with it, just seem to know inherently the right thing to do, and then they do it? It's a good question. But more than simply being a question of who they are as opposed to who we are, maybe the answer to this question has to do a lot with how we're wired as human beings. Let's unpack that a bit. There was this 20th century sociologist by the name of David Reisman. He came into uh, prominence, particularly in the 1950s, with a book he wrote entitled The Lonely Crowd. And it was about social character in American life. And he actually posited in this book something that was actually a pretty controversial theory at the time, that there are those among us who are, as Reisman uh, described them, interdirected, while there are those who could be described as other-directed. Interdirected people, said Reisman, have within them what might be called a psychological gyroscope. That is an instrument, once it is set by parents <clears throat> or other authorities, keeps them on course, even when tradition or family no longer dictates their moves. In other words, it was the way they raised. So we might think of it as their code of behavior. It might be the result of a good upbringing or, or something that comes from having a good heart. Whatever the given situation, Reisman concludes, inner-directed people just seem to know how to handle that situation appropriately, and they do. In contrast, however, Reisman goes on to say, there are many other directed people who pattern their behavior on the basis of the responses they receive from those around them. They make sure that any decisions that they make will first carry a high approval rating before they'll commit to them. Reisman writes that what's within other directed people is not so much a gyroscope as it is a, well, call it a psychological radar. Radar that is gathering up all possible data before heading in any direction at all. In other words, before I decide, what's everybody else thinking about this? Am I going to get in trouble for what I decide to do here? 
Am I even correct in what I'm thinking of doing? I better be careful here. I better check out the lay of the land before I decide anything. So it's not your imagination, friends. According to this theory, there really are people who just always seem to know what they're supposed to do. And then there's a lot of other people, most of the rest of us, I guess, that, who tend to flounder around just trying to figure it out. Now, maybe that's an exaggeration. I'll say that. But what's interesting to me about all this, and this is the reason I bring it up today, is that while it would seem, to me at least, that faith teaches us to be interdirected, that is, letting our psychological gyroscope be in speaking and acting as God would have us do, with our own spiritually centered conscience taking priority over public opinion, nonetheless, to look around at our world, there does seem to be a whole lot more other-directed people in this world, even amongst the faithful, than there are those who are holy interdirected. I say this, and I don't think uh, uh, you would argue with me about this. We live in a world that regularly tests the waters before we leave harbor. I don't have to tell you, for instance, that we have political leaders who will not express an opinion on any issue until a government-appointed focus group gets done with their analysis of polling data. That was quite a sentence to say. <laughs> True it is true, however, and also true in these days we're in of confused situations. Public opinion so often is not so much reflected by polls taken as they are dictated by them. And let's not even talk about the power of Internet and social media to influence opinion. On the other hand, let's talk about that. There is a phenomenon, this is just a little aside here, there is a phenomenon right now about influencers online. Have you heard about this? You, there are people out there, uh, younger people, uh, but older people too, who make their living, their life's calling is to be influencers by take, get, you know, having, uh, showing others online good fashion, great games, uh, wonderful food, and putting it out there and trying to get others to do what they are saying is great. They're trying to influence trends, public opinion, culture itself. It sounds all well and good, except we often end up, at the very least, being influenced not by what is clearly right or wrong, not by any traditional sense of ethic or morality, but by who has the loudest and the most prevalent voice in whatever the current debate happens to be, whatever the influencer, whoever he, she, or they may be, has to say. What's happening more and more in our culture today both on a personal and a corporate level, is that people are tending to move through their lives not by the guidance of that inner gyroscope that Reisman is referring to, but rather flying blind and depending on the radar. Radar that is increasingly being jammed and manipulated on every level of human life. So all this to say that you can begin to understand those who don't 
inherently seem to know the right thing to do. Because in today's world, a faithful instinct is rarely second nature, much less a first response. But then, lest we ever think that such issues are unique to this generation, understand, friends, that this most definitely is nothing new. The first of our two texts for this morning that Sarah shared with us, the one from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, it comes out of just such a time of struggle and disillusionment, a time, sadly, not too unlike our own. Historically speaking, the nation of Israel had literally been decimated. Its cities destroyed, left unfit for habitation. The, the temple, the religious center of their very lives was in ruins. And the people, the people had literally been plucked up from their homeland and sent off into foreign exile. But understand here that as great as was their physical devastation that was surrounding them, the spiritual anguish amongst God's people was at least tenfold. For you see, the people had believed in their heart of hearts that God would never allow Jerusalem or the temple to fall. And yet it had. It was swept away in what seemed to them to be an instant. And their hope was swept away along with it. And so here's God's people bereft of anything at all to believe in, desperately trying to figure out what it was they were supposed to do next, where they were supposed to go, what they were supposed to do. So isn't it interesting then that it's precisely in the midst of that utter hopelessness that Jeremiah the prophet comes and promises a time when life is going to be restored when the cities will be rebuilt, when farms will be replanted and the harvest will be great. In that day, Jeremiah says, a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah will be formed. This is the word of the Lord, he says. And this new covenant, not just any covenant, a new covenant. And not new in the sense that it will be a fresh set of commandments for you to follow but new in the sense that this time, says God, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall they teach one another. No longer will they say to one another, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now, it's important for us to understand here just how much these words resonated with the people of Israel. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors, says the Lord. And when they heard that, immediately the people knew what it meant. The old covenant, you see, the covenant of Moses, commandments written in stone, laws that crumbled as surely as the tablets smashed against stone as their ancestors turned from their faith to whatever else seemed expedient or more convenient at the time. This was beyond this faith that they had turned away from time and time again. This was a new covenant. 
no longer merely a set of rules, but a way of life and living that God would place within them, something that would become a part of them. It's not that the old law, the Ten Commandments, or anything else went away, but now it was not just going to be something out there. It was going to be something in here. It was God's hope for their lives. It was God's joy. It was God's vision. It was God's very intent and purpose for them. It was God's guidance in everything they do. And with such a covenant written on their hearts, it would be so much a part of them as to be them. So faith would not simply be their second nature, but they, it would be their first and true nature. They will no longer go around setting up schools to teach each other about God because they'll know me firsthand. I will wipe the slate clean for each of them. I will forget they ever sinned. That is the translation from the message. And what that says is that means that this is going to be a new start. It's going to be a reset of the gyroscope. A fresh perspective on which to set out again on the journey. But this time they'll be setting out on their journey. There's that journey again. Not alone, but together with God. That's the promise that God made to his people in the midst of their other directed lives. In a time and a history when they were hearing from, uh, from government and their conquerors and their oppressors, here was God to say, I will put my law within you. I will write it on your hearts. And thanks be to God, it's the same promise that God still makes to you and me in our other directed lives. So often, you see, we've not allowed God's law to become a part of us, have we? We've not let it be written on our hearts. We've not let our faith become a matter of our inner directed journeys. Rather, we've all too often opted to treat faith with the same academic objectivity we give to everything else in our lives. Yes, it is true, you know. We, we've come to the sanctuary today as we do each and every Sunday morning we, to claim our covenantal relationship with God in Jesus Christ. But you see, the real question before us is always whether it's truly part of us, most especially when we go out those doors later today. Is God's law actually within us? Is it written on our hearts? Is our faith in God our true nature? Or is the truth of it that we're still out there figuring out which way we're supposed to be going in this life. See, that's an important question for us to ask. Moreover, and most especially, it's a very important question for us to be able to answer. Because ultimately, our true nature will always come out one way or the other. Did you ever hear the Aesop's fable about the cat? that was miraculously transformed into a woman. The story goes that all went well with the change at first. And there was this beautiful woman sitting demurely at the table at a dinner party. 
But then, so goes the fable, towards the end of the meal, a mouse ran in front of her. And she reacted, (laughs) and it was revealed to everybody present who she really was. It's Aesop's fable, not mine. (laughs) But you know what? It rings true. And maybe that is what Jeremiah was talking about when he spoke to the people about this covenant of his being written in the heart. Because inevitably, our true character ends up revealed in our day-to-day dealings. I ask you, can it be said of each of us here today that when the mouse runs by, that is, when one of life's many contradictions or its chaotic moments hit us head-on, will our reaction to that show forth our true nature? Will our faith be revealed to all? Will that which has been written on our hearts, beloved, be that which is shown forth to the world? That's the question. In our other text for this morning, uh, which came from Paul's second letter to Timothy, the older pastor charges the younger pastor to always continue in what he has learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom he learned it. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, Timothy and you and I are urged to proclaim the message of Christ in his kingdom, to be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, as some translations put it, in season and out of season, or as the message puts it, I'll go back to the message again, proclaim the message with intensity, keep on your watch, challenge Warn and urge your people, don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. Isn't it interesting, friends, that Paul speaks of a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but when they will fill up on spiritual junk food. That's how it's translated there. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. I guess it is true that the more things change, the more things stay the same. People don't always put up with sound doctrine. People always go looking around. They are influenced by the influencers of this life. Yes, there will always be those who put their fingers to the breeze where their lives or their faith are concerned. But as Christians, as people of the new covenant, the conviction written on the heart You and I are being called to carry out the ministry of the gospel with the promise that if we continue in that calling, we will be proficient, that we'll be equipped for every good work. In other words, somehow, some way, even though we're not convinced about it at the time, we will know the right thing to do deep down inside, and we will do it. And we will do it because God's new covenant of love, sealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is a part of us. It's what makes us who we are as persons, as people, as the community of faith. It's what makes us people of God. In life, time and time again, we learn that the right thing to do is rarely the easy thing to do, right? 
And as I've said many times before from this pulpit, it's not what we don't understand about our faith that troubles us along the way. More often than not, it's what we do understand about our faith that troubles us. So do not misunderstand what I am saying today. Having the law of God written upon our hearts does not mean that we will no longer struggle. It doesn't mean that we won't harbor a few doubts. It doesn't mean that we won't occasionally get mired in the sea of gray area. Or, as I mentioned last week, that pile of pucker brush that's right in front of us. Interdirected or no, it's not going to mean that we're automatically going to understand the right way to go every single time. But what it does mean is that God's law within us means that there's going to be a conviction of the heart, that there's going to be this wonderfully nagging sense that exists within ourselves, this understanding that there is, after all, a clear pathway ahead if only we will clear our eyes and look up to find it. It might take us some time and some prayer, some discernment to get there, but we will find the way. Beloved, let us allow the word of God, the way of life, to be written on our hearts so that it becomes a matter of character. And honestly, friends, it does begin right here in our worship together. It does happen, this transformative part of our lives in prayer and meditation. It also happens as we walk along the pathways of righteousness in this life. As we pray today, let us pray that we will be receiving God's wisdom, that we will be receiving God's guidance for the here and now, that we'll be the recipients of a revelation of God's way in all that we think or say or do. Let us pray for understanding of God's will in each of our lives so that we might be taught to walk in the ways of God's peace as surely as the sun rises with each new day. And for this law that's not written in stone, but carved into our hearts, May our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled Conviction of the Heart. It was recorded during our October the 17th service of worship at East Congregational Church. As always, we'd invite you to join us for in-person worship at East Church. That happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Or, if you prefer, to join us live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, we would love to have you be with us. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.